0: Hey, just a quick note, Uh, this episode was recorded on May 13th before the brutal murder of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis and the ensuing nationwide protests. Uh, We're in no way trying to stop or ignore or divert from the conversation about racial injustice, hence why I wanted to add this side note here so that you're aware that we are aware of it and also everyone who listens to the podcast is now aware that there's a very large conversation happening around this Um, and we're definitely not trying to take attention away from that. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that, that this was recorded before all of that happened, um, and that is why we don't actually get into that in this podcast, so apologies for that. Uh, having said that, welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Mr. Bill. My guest today is Austin Collins, better known as AU5. Austin is an electronic music producer, multi-instrumentalist, and Ableton educator. He's had numerous releases on Monstercat. He's toured the country with Liquid Stranger and played festivals from coast to coast. And in this interview, Austin and I cover some educational stuff. But if you really want to get better at making electronic music, you should go become a hardcore Abletoner at MrBillsTunes.com, where you can access all four seasons of The Art of Mr. Bill, project files, sample packs and barrels of other content. Uh, so having said all that, let's get to the interview.
1: Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast.
0: Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening
1: to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening Hey, you're listening to the Podcast.
0: sick man well yeah thanks for coming on the podcast i appreciate you taking the time hey totally man thanks for having me yeah um
1: how's how's the quarantine stuff going i mean honestly for me it's 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 actually great (laughs) yeah because it's kind of like i feel less guilty just staying at home all the time like i always do so Mm um yeah i mean nothing has nothing has really changed um i'm just doing hella work my tour got canceled uh, i was doing a i was about to go on tour with chime um for like i think we had like 24 days uh 24 dates lined up over the over this month and next month um but that got canceled and uh it kind of sucks but at the same time it's like that's a huge weight off and now i can actually work on stuff that i want to work on right um who's chime oh he's a um he's a uk producer he makes like a uh, melodic kind of, like, uplifting dubstep um, more on the, uh, I would say, playful side. Cool. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I had a similar situation.
0: I, I released, um, it was pretty weird. I was uh, actually traveling around a bunch doing, like, shows in January, but also trying to finish an EP, which is my halftime EP. And then right. I was, like, really cramming all through February to get that finished because I was supposed to do 10 dates surrounding that EP in March. Uh, and then I like crammed really hard, finished the EP. Was like, fuck yeah, all right, ready to do this tour. And then I was gonna like take some time off after that. And then everything
1: just fell apart. Damn. I mean, I bet you wish that uh, <laughs> you you knew that that was gonna happen before you know finishing, before having to rush to finish the the EP. Yeah, but also deadlines are kind of good, right? Like, um, <clears throat> I feel like if I
0: didn't have to rush to finish it, I probably may just not have finished it, or just would have <laughs> finished it way slower or something.
1: Yeah, totally. There's there's more room for like overthinking shit.
0: Mm. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, have you finished a lot of music uh, since the shelter in place thing started?
1: Like you, you like the lo- lo- the lockdown thing.
0: Is that yeah? I about? guess in yeah in San Francisco, I guess they're calling it shelter in
1: place. Oh, Okay. Yeah, that's a little friendlier sounding. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's see. Um, dude, I I, I honestly don't even keep track. It's I don't even keep track of the stuff that I finish but I don't know I just lose track of time and just like okay I've done a song next day I totally forget about it but uh, I think I finished at least I know I finished a couple remixes um, couple collabs I'd say about like five songs over the past uh, how long has it been like two months Uh, yeah I think
0: about two months I think um, San Francisco locked down on March 15th roughly or something like that like in the middle of March I think
1: Mm. okay um yeah yeah i mean I've been, I've been i've just been crushing it on tunes um and yeah it's been great and it's cool because like my roommates are now home more often they're uh going into work like way less so it's it's just cool to you know have more people around and be more sociable and less like locked into our uh you know schedules
0: yeah i've noticed that too it's kind of like the, the, there is some benefits to the whole situation right in that like whatever schedules people had before, they're like forced to get out of them. So it's just forcing everybody to sort of rethink their lives a little bit and how they sort of manage their time and stuff like that. And I think coming out of the lockdown stuff and coming out of this whole situation, probably a lot of people are going to sort of sit back and think like, okay, shit, do I really want to like go back into that same routine I was in before? Or do I want to sort of like manage it with the routine that I have that I've developed in lockdown and sort of balance it out a little bit or something?
1: Right. Totally. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity or I think it is. Yeah, it's a great. It's, it's a, it's a break for a lot of people, um, to potentially, you know, think about is the path that they're on really, you know, the thing that they want to do. Um, I, I noticed that a lot of people in my neighborhood, um, cause I kind of live in a suburban like development right now and, uh, people are outside like way more than I've ever seen them before. Like, like running and walking dogs and just like playing in the park and just like, wow this uh, it seems like people have uh people are appreciating life more yeah uh hmm. yeah i've noticed that as well a little bit actually <laughs> it's like I, people I, are, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> i guess i i could just be like wishfully thinking people are out a lot more though just probably because this they're just that they free time right yeah i heard
0: in um some parts of colorado they had to shut down hiking trails and stuff cuz people were just going around walking too much
1: yeah yeah um my two roommates they went out to uh, i don't i don't remember what the place was called but they went out hiking and apparently it was re- everyone else had the same idea and there was a cop there that was like yeah this place is full we can't have any more people hiking on this trail it's, it's dangerous so you got to find another place and uh, which they did but yeah it's like people are people are definitely keeping active throughout all this.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I watched your YouTube video the other day. The um eight cool things you can do with serum that you didn't know you could do. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> What'd you think about that?
0: It was cool. Um I, I can't remember all of them, but there was a few things in there. Like I didn't know you could use both filters if when you were using serum effects.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing because um so it's a funny story, actually. Uh, a couple years ago, I I made a tutorial that said, uh, that was talking about um, like using the noise oscillator as a modulation source. And mm. in the video, I was like, it would be really cool if Serum could have like live input to use as a modulator. Uh, and I was like, I said, hey, if... Uh, Duda, if you're listening, have a think. That's what I said, <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of like sarcastically. But he actually he actually hit me up, he emailed me like a month later and said, "Hey, I watched your video and I implemented your request." And I was like, "What?" So he sent me a, a beta of it, and it's it, it is it's in the new update now. You can in Serum FX you can um, use uh, it, you can change the routing so that the incoming audio is a uh, Basically, a noise oscillator signal, which then you can route into the filters, uh, and you can also use it to modulate other stuff, just like you would, like when you modulate something to the noise oscillator, uh, which is which I thought was pretty cool.
0: Right. So, um, I mean, obviously, apart from the fact that the input is coming in live, that's kind of how Phase Plant operates, right? With like the whole audio modulation type stuff, like audio rate modulation.
1: Yeah, yeah. In in the way that I'm using it, I mean, I'm not sure that you can. Do live input, like live audio input, into Phase Plant. But the the whole purpose of the tutorial in the first place was to yeah, like essentially be able to like audio rate modulate anything, just like you can in Phase Plant.
0: Mm.
1: What do you think of Phase Plant? By the way, have you dived into it much? Yeah, n- dude. I think I think Phase. I mean, okay. So more uh, from an un from as unbiased as I can be, I would say. Phase Plant is like serum for nerds. It's uh, it's really it's it's really capable. Obviously, you have all the wave, same wavetable capabilities, pretty much, except except for some of the warp modes. But um, I mean, yeah, you can just load in as many different wavetable oscillators as you want and samples, and then modulate anything to anything. I think it's awesome because it's super flexible, and the the snap in plugins. Um, are really useful, especially disperser, which I'm always using anyway. (laughs) So um, it's just the fact that it is so capable, it's a little harder to just like get up and running. It's not so much of a... It's less user-friendly, I'd say. It's probably harder to understand for people who like aren't super nerdy or advanced with with synthesis. Um, And I mean, I find myself going to serum more than phase plant personally just because... It's such a go-to thing to just get the sound that I want as fast as possible. But right. uh, f- for ex- exploration, I think phase plan is, is definitely the way to go.
0: Yeah. One thing I really like about the fa- uh, phase plant is the LFOs because you can set the grid to be like 128 by 128. Mm-hmm. And then you can... S- so that means the, the LFO is then 128 bars long or whatever. And Oh, can- I didn't know it would go that long. Cool. It's it might not be 128 bars long, but it's like it's fucking really long. And you can essentially build like entire tracks in the LFOs, which I've done before. <laughs> you can build these like huge melodies in the LFOs and attach them to like all the pitches of the oscillators and
1: have stuff like done, that. Have you personally done that before?
0: Yeah, I've made a few tracks just in phase plan. Um they're not like <laughs> they're not full tracks. They're like, I don't know, a couple of minutes. Uh sorry, not a couple of minutes, like, I don't know, 20 seconds or something like that. But Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like those. I love those patch. Um, I don't know if you had this experience when you first started writing music and you didn't really know how to use synthesizers, but you would like open a patch and press like one button and it would play a whole like trance
1: up sequence or something, and you're just (laughs) like,
0: "What the fuck? Like, how does that even work?"
1: Oh man, I actually well, yeah, I had no idea how that was even possible. Um, The first synth that I really got into uh, this was back when I first started using Logic. There was a synth called ES2, and it's um I'm trying to think of what the equivalent would be i mean it's it's got some wave tables it's uh it's basically just like your your typical analog synth, kind of like silent, I guess, um but it also had these like, it had like a it had some really advanced envelopes that even to this day i still i mean I don't use it anymore, so but back then I just could not understand how to use it, and there were some presets that were utilizing like what sounded like step sequencer stuff, and I had no idea. What was going on for years i had no idea like didn't even i couldn't learn everything about it in however many years that i was using it i was like i just gave up <laughs> right um yeah going back to phase plant i think uh the other
0: thing that's great like you already mentioned is the effects i think the effects setup is like a lot more powerful than serum and i think yeah. that the modulators in general are more powerful in phase plant because you can just add them i think infinitely and just attach them to anything the same way as you can in serum mm-hmm. but um The one thing I think, like you were saying, it's a little easier to get up and running in serum than it is in phase plant. And sometimes if you just want to make a simple sound real quick, you'll just open serum. And I'm Mm -hmm. kind of the same way. I'll do the same thing. Um, But I think part of that just comes down to how long serum has been around in comparison. So like, I don't know if you had this sort of gestation period with serum but I certainly did and I always do with new plugins really where like it's it's sort of like nobody really understands the plugin well enough like massive x is still in that phase right yeah um, where it's like so. Yeah, like nobody really gets it. Nobody's doing any cool shit with it. But then you like, you know, you'll get someone like you doing a tutorial, like, here's a thing I figured out how to do in Serum or Massive X or whatever. And then you'll get some other guy like Virtual Riot being like, I just have started using this for everything now too. And then like you'll you'll get like a few sort of key players doing mm-hmm. like these really cool forward thinking things with these synthesizers that they sort of worked out in isolation. And then off that you'll you'll get these communities of people who f- sort of follow suit and be like, oh, did you see that thing that this person did? I'm going to like also start doing that. And then they make their own tutorials and figure out their own shit. And it's kind of like everyone's information builds on everyone else's information. And then eventually you get this like huge community of people who just all seem to fucking know the thing super well. And I yeah. think phase plant is like in that period where it's sort of generating a bunch of people who are, you know, uh, using it a lot and, and whatnot. Like for instance, I know Whidler um, he told me the other day, that he's specifically just limiting himself right now to using faceplant, even if he just wants to make a simple sound he's like forcing himself to not just grab massive or serum
1: yeah I, I, res- I respect that because I mean that's really the only way that you're gonna you know you're getting out of your comfort zone and that's probably the fastest way that you're gonna learn how to use how to use it and use it well right like i even
0: remember a tweet that you made when serum first came out where you were just like oh serum looks cool but i don't know if it'll ever replace massive for me right
1: did i say that <laughs> yeah
0: I, be- I believe it was you that I said probably that. did yeah yeah and and it's like now you're obviously like serum is your main thing right
1: yeah no i'm I'm totally sold on it um yeah. and i i think i don't recall when i said that but like trying to put myself in the headspace again i feel like because i remember when i first started using serum probably the first i don't know six plus months of using it I didn't understand how to properly import wavetables and everything that I would import would just sound like just muddy garbage and I was like mm. oh I guess this is as far as I, as anyone can really go with this thing um, but then I learned how to you know do a fixed window uh, sample import and then recently I, I learned how to do the, um, the capture method with serum effects you don't have to drag any files in and um and and since then, I, I realized, like, wow, yeah, if if you just import it right, you can get some seriously clean, powerful sounds. Um, yeah, like, right. You'll have to show me how to do that later because <sighs> I'm still in that phase where if I import,
0: like, that's not why I use Serum. I don't ever import wavetables or anything like that just because mm. I, I have the same sort of uh, experience that you seem to be having years ago probably at this point where... Um, when I import anything it just sounds very like digital like you can hear like all the windows kind of chopping together
1: it's noisy and clicky Uh, and sometimes it's just like it just flutters like sometimes the the waveforms just like alternate in in polarity it looks like and it's just like this is unusable right Right. yeah exactly yeah no I gotta I gotta show you how to do it later (laughs)
0: Mm, yeah um why why do you think you're so good at synthesis because I, I feel like everyone I, I think maybe bar virtual riot or something you're probably the best person i know of synthesis and, and you seem to have like the deepest understanding of it in terms of um just things like phase and you know how filters work and all of that kind of stuff um i, I guess like my question is uh for starters how did you learn all of it and secondly like like what got you so interested in it that's a good
1: question I think I think it started when I was probably really young like before before I knew about dolls or anything like that I I've, I was really into both music and science like particularly electronics um, and I used to take computers apart and stuff and just like see what's going on and that kind of led to you know once I once I once my brain developed a little more that kind of led to me um, like Building su- stuff like simple circuits and understanding like the difference between like direct current, alternating current, and s- signal flow in like electronic circuits and what uh, each. Did you ever do like those? Do. Yeah, did you ever do like those breadboard things? Um, it's kind of. If you if you ever heard of a uh, Snap Circuits, it's basically like a breadboard. It's like Lego breadboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 totally. And that was. I knew that that was something that I was really passionate about when I when I got that, and I was like, I'm literally addicted to this, <laughs> like it was the f- it was the funnest thing ever, and it taught me so much about just how electronics, how ele- how electricity works in a circuit, and the, it was kind of a um, once I started making music on the computer, uh, th- I I started noticing there were a lot of parallels, um, in, I guess for one, like how a signal works, like how, you know, electricity alternates to produce a produce a, a signal or to produce a tone. Um and then stuff like uh stuff like phase was already something I was familiar with because of um yeah, because of like electronics and stuff. Um and then I started kinda combining the two, soldering together, um like guitar effects pedals. Pretty much just simple distortion shit. And uh, I don't know. I, I think most of it, though, really is the the my, my passion for, like, understanding how things work. Um, and that kind of just leads me to exploring, just endlessly exploring, like, the capabilities of one thing uh, mm-hmm. or, like, one synth or one effect and trying to dissect it and see how it works. I, I love... Anytime I get a new new synth or new filter, particularly, um, I love analyzing it on like a spectrogram uh, and an oscilloscope, and just trying to be able to visualize it as best as possible. In another sense, like I can hear it, but I also want to be able to to see it as as much as possible. Um, you you know about uh, synesthesia, right? Uh, yeah, it's like where you hear music and you see
0: color or something.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, in general, it's just a a blend. It's like a mix of senses. Um, When I was, when I was a lot younger, it was more prominent, but um, sounds, like, for instance, like words have different colors, letters and characters have different colors. Sounds have distinct, the sounds are kind of like, I get like impressions of like moving 3D shapes or moving shapes in three-dimensional space. And um, when I discovered that, uh, for instance, like this, like the, uh like an oscilloscope or a vector scope or um, a uh, um, spectrogram was a thing, then I was like, wow, I can actually see objectively what this sound looks like in some way. Um, And doing that has has helped me, like just using visual analysis has helped me understand what I'm hearing better. And when I hear something, uh, it's easier for me to to visualize it without those... um, Without those analyzers, do you think um so so all visualizers right like spectrograms and
0: all of that kind of stuff um they obviously have like some sort of concept behind them like for instance, a spectrogram uh, is a way of mapping frequency over a like horizontal graph and mm-hmm.
1: each frequency over
0: time R- well uh, uh, or you're talking I'm ta- about
1: like the Eq spectrum sorry
0: right yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's just like each bar in the thing like equals one frequency or whatever. Um, but I'm, I'm curious as to like whether or not like let's say you were the first person ever to be like fuck we need like meters to to be able to see shit. If you would have like uh, designed them to look the same way, you know. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> like perhaps you wouldn't have like made the visual representation of a waveform uh, represent what it is that you're hearing exactly because you know, you may have represented things differently in your mind before seeing these sort of more tangible representations that everybody have agreed on.
1: Right, and that's ca- that's probably what I would gravitate towards, like trying to recreate w- something repeatable that I am also perceiving myself. Is, is, right. that, is that what you're saying? Like create yeah, an analyzer yeah, exactly. for my own <laughs> synesthetic perceptions. Yeah, So,
0: I, uh, but now that you've seen um, the analyzers that were for for other people's, uh, potentially synesthetic perceptions. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you think um, attributes to the things that you see like in your mind's eye when you're listening to a sound now?
1: That's mm, probably a substantial amount, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I would say the same. I
0: mean, like I always, when I'm trying to visualize uh, like a sound in my head, like let's say a snare drum, like I can already sort of see a transient and all of that kind of stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, I'm just looking at like the waveform of a, a snare drum in the in, in a clip in Ableton. Like as soon as you say snare, I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, that's an orange clip. That uh, like I'm I'm seeing it from pr- probably from the perspective of when I see it the most, like the times mm-hmm. that I see that the most. Like okay, that's how I'm seeing it in my head. Probably right. just because of conditioning at this point.
0: Right, right. Um. Cool. So, I, I also wanted to talk about your ear because I, f- I found like working with you on the recency effect that you have like probably the best ear out of any engineer I've ever worked with as well. Mm. And, I, and I feel like, and um, I've tried to explain this to people before, but like when we were working on tunes or whatever, there'd be times where I would, we'd have like a shitload of things going on in the session at once. There'd be like a section that has like, I don't know, 20 channels at once going or something. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh, it's just not sounding right. And like all of the mix sounds cluttered and I don't know, there's some shit going on. And usually what I would do in that situation is just sit there for hours, just fucking with it until it eventually sounds right. Mm-hmm. But you seem to have this ability to be like, oh, it's just like too much, 200 hertz in the snare or something. And then we would like cut that by a little bit and then instantly like the whole mix would just open up and sound fine. <laughs> right. And and I, f- I find that ability really interesting. And my theory is that it's because you have perfect pitch and you're able to hear like somewhat of a chord like modal activity between the elements and you're able to hear when like one of those elements has an like an element of dissonance in it or whatever and then you know okay that snare drum or whatever has 200 hertz in it which might be whatever an f or something but the key of the tune is in f sharp and therefore that's going to create dissonance so we need to just like cut that frequency range a little bit and then that should stop creating this like weird uh modal dissonance in the mix down and and i i don't know does is that how you would describe uh your the way that you mix because that's what it seemed like to me
1: um well for frequency based well okay first of all i i just want to i just want to say i I, (laughs) i know you attribute a lot of this stuff to me having perfect pitch i personally don't think that it is because of that i think it's i think a lot of it may be relative relative pitch um because perfect pitch is, is really just, like, can I name the note without a reference point?
0: Right, um, and and I actually have a piano here. Can we just do this just to yeah. prove to people that you do? Okay, what's this note?
1: Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds kind of like F sharp. Yeah, that is an F sharp. <laughs> All right, what about this one? It, it, it sounded a little bit flat. Yeah. C. Uh, what about this?
0: D. Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy to me that you can just do that. So... I guess another question. I mean, we can go back to the mixdown thing as well, but I also am interested to talk about perfect pitch at length because I find that to be so interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's touch on that uh, after the the mixdown thing. Um, yeah, for the mi- for the mixdown stuff, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with like if there is a, har- a harmonic relationship between one frequency and another. For instance, like you said, like the peak of a snare drum and the the tonic of the song or like the chord that the that is playing in the song um that to me because it's a very narrow the snare is the snare body is usually going to just be like a really narrow frequency range that's i'm going to perceive that as a note mm-hmm. uh but the broader that frequency range gets like if you just throw a white noise or if you just throw like an eq bell on on white noise uh and like boost it i wouldn't really be able to tell you the the pitch of that because it's kind of broad but um i think the the frequency range my ability to determine the frequency range i think is a is a separate thing than um being able to determine p- pitch like notes like they're there are two very different things um i feel like i perceive them from two completely different parts of my brain um one is more of like uh i don't i don't I don't know how to describe something so abstract <laughs> as this perception. Well, it's almost um, just like a cloud of
0: uh, sensation happening at one part of your ear canal or something like that, right? Or,
1: yeah, like if something is too resonant, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, like that. I mean, that's how I at
0: least do a mix down. Like if I'm listening to something... It's almost like if if something's too bassy it's just almost like I can just feel too much pressure in my head or if like something is too mm-hmm. bright and shrill it's like almost kind of like I can feel something stabbing me in the eye or something it's almost like a sensation almost.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually pretty similar to what I experience. It it there is a spatial aspect to it. Like I feel it in different parts of my inside of my head. I mean it's probably not actually something in there. It's just you know my perception of it. it I I was I I've been wondering about that though. I feel like that kind of has to do with like that might have to do with um like the voice. Like we can produce a lot of we can produce like a pretty broad range of frequencies with just our mouths. And <clears throat> I know that uh like singers if uh like learning proper singers learning proper technique will often use. Yeah, I guess like s- spatial cues to um, make sure that their placement, their vocal placement and is right so that their tone is right. Um, such as like, I don't, I don't know, I never got a vocal lesson, so I can't, <laughs> I can't really say. But from what I've heard, uh, and I think there is some, there's a, there's a parallel between like where we perceive a sound and the actual tone or timbre of the sound um, in our bodies. Uh, and I think that might have to, That I think that assists in my perception of what frequency it is. And I just associate that feeling with like, oh, it sounds like there's... I know that it's a low mids, but it sounds kind of like, you know, the 300 hertz area or whatever. Or like if it's... If something is too sharp and and sibilant, like I'll... Often what I'll do with high frequencies, if I hear something wrong in the high frequencies, like if a frequency is too loud, um, with my mouth, I'll just go like... And then try to find exactly... (laughs) <laughs> what what that frequency is that's peaking too much and then I'll just kind of like hold that, that shape in my mouth and I think I've developed an association with like my mouth resonance or the, my mouth shape and what that's resonating with uh, numbers on an equalizer. <laughs> oh, interesting. So I I do a similar thing,
0: except instead of uh, sweeping with my mouth in that way, I'll just uh, put the solo button on EQ8 or whatever and just sort of sweep up around the top range until I hear the area that's pissing me off and then just cut it.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that that's a faster faster method if you already have an EQ open, for sure. Um, Because then it's like if you're sweeping through the frequencies, it's much easier to hear which one is louder than the other because then it's not a matter of like... Trying to de- trying to determine and differentiate frequencies. It's just like, is this louder than this? Right, right. Is this louder than any of the others, essentially? Yeah. yeah. Spe-
0: speaking about high frequencies in particular, they're kind of tough too, because um, there's no real good way of metering them, I've found. Like a spectrometer or a spectrum is like never, doesn't seem like a great way to figure out how much, ma- like if you have the right amount of highs in your track, right? Because it's all so relative to the amount of sub and the amount of everything else. Yeah. So, um. Like, it's a, obviously, that's why they call a mix a balance. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the only way to really do those two is to sort of do the same thing with sweeping or with um, referencing against other tracks, right? To try and figure out, like, where you're sitting in that range.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of psychoacoustic stuff that we can't use an analyzer to measure that influences our perception of, of like, f- frequencies frequencies that are too loud or too quiet like your spectrum may be your on your analyzer may look totally flat but for some reason you're still getting this like harshness or fuzziness and i think it's something else it's a i don't think it's a necessarily a timbral thing it may be more like a phase or textural issue or even a dynamics issue like i don't know if if your if your top end is really saturated or Compressed, it may it may sound very um, even if it's not louder than any of any other frequencies. You know, just because it's just not dynamic. Right, right. Um, um, let's talk about perfect
0: pitch a little bit because I
1: find this it, real interesting. Uh, when did you notice you had it? Well, probably like third or fourth grade, I think, because I remember because I, I started playing piano when I was four, and I was mainly taught through ear training um, and reading sight reading music or sight reading music was secondary. It was, uh, I was, uh, taught through the, uh, Suzuki method, which is exactly that. It's like sight reading comes second, but ear training comes first. And it's like, if sight reading is kind of supplementary to learning by ear. And is this a classical piano? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Classical piano. Cool. And I think, yeah, when I was in fourth grade, we had a music class and there was a, uh, the teacher came in with, with like a portable piano and we had music books and we would just sing along and everyone would sing along just because the teacher would, we would just dictate what the teacher was was teaching us and how, how to sing the song. And, you know, super easy. But I wanted to have an edge above everyone else. And I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to imagine because there was sheet music too, like there, I could see notes on a staff uh, with the words. We would only use it for we would only use the books for referencing the the words to the song. But I was trying to hear what this what the notes would be in my head before the teacher taught us what it was. Mm. And um, that's when I that's when I started realizing like I had an idea of what the key of C sounded like. What like what the note of C. Was in my head, and then from there I could use that as kind of a reference point to start uh, to figure out what the other notes were in my head. Oh, interesting! Um,
0: and do you still do that? Like, for instance, when I say played you notes on the piano earlier, uh, when I played you like an F sharp, is it that you're hearing an, an F sharp in its absolute way and knowing that it's an F sharp, or are you hearing a C and then sort of using relative pitch to figure it out from there?
1: Yeah, it's it's the it's the it's the latter because oh. um, so you can only. You only have perfect pitch for C. For C, it well, it depends on the. I don't know. It depends on the instrument too. For instance, like if I hear, if I hear an E, like a bass frequency E, um, that is easier for me to hear that as E than it is for like something like a piano to play E. Mm-hmm. And I think it's. Uh, I, I think a lot of it is just conditioning and and like instru- instrumental association. Because uh, I play bass for. A pretty long time almost a decade and the the bass is tuned eadg and so e obviously i hear that all the time when i'm playing songs and or when i'm tuning so if i hear like a bass e it's much easier for me to pick up that that's an e um so i get that it's i get that like most people define perfect pitch as or absolute pitch as like you know, immediately feel that it's just like we can determine what color something is. Like we don't have to think of, oh, I can only tell you what color this is in relation to another color kind of thing. Mm. Um, I wouldn't consider it true perfect pitch. I would call it something like probably like pseudo perfect pitch because I have some reference notes that are burned into my head, but I don't think I perceive it. I don't think I perceive notes the same way that people who have true perfect pitch, like from from childhood perceive it right right um so with your like this is a a huge
0: problem that i always have with djing it's not really a problem um it's that i you know i run everything through mixed in key and then i sort of use the numbering system and whatnot to to figure out what's going to work together harmonically and stuff like that uh -hmm. when you dj are, are you sort of using this pseudo perfect pitch to figure out what's going to harmonically work in sets on the fly or are you you sort of planning your sets out beforehand or are you um also keying all of your tracks in the same way that a peasant like myself would
1: it's kind of a combination of all of them i i do when i when i get my sets ready for shows um i didn't used to do this as much because shows were just more of like i don't want to say fun but they just felt freer there was less on the line there was less pressure to like make sure that it's perfect uh but um as over the past couple years once i started playing tours and stuff um i what my kind of method would be throw all the songs that i know that i would probably want to play in a playlist and then sort them by key and then after i get them sorted by key then i would sort them by bpm um sorting by key though it's i'm not just going up the up the keyboard I'm I'm sorting them by uh fourths and fifths so mm-hmm. basically the circle of fifths um, yeah yeah which makes the most sense cuz it's like it just harmonizes the best that way um and when I'm actually playing live on stage then uh I kind of just jump around between the uh uh you know I'll, I'll sort certain songs I'll group certain songs that I know work really well together and I'll play those as a group um But uh, I'll jump around if the key is nearby. um, In in that list, there have been times where I, um, you know, just didn't have uh, didn't have a proper playlist or like ran out of songs, uh, and still had more time. And what I would do in that case is, uh, if if it's a song that I didn't. Like if I wasn't, if I didn't know the key of just from memory, um, then I would listen to it and immediately know if it's like a fifth or a fourth away, or if it's like something weird, like a, like one semitone away. And then sometimes I'll do, if it if that is the case, then I'll do something like just pitch up the other song, um, uh, 12% to match the, to, to, to match the note or is it 6%? I don't know. It's one of those two. Right, right. Um,
0: speaking of music theory stuff and using that in, in electronic music, how important do you think it is to know music theory as an electronic musician?
1: I think it varies on, well, uh, I have, a, I have, I have a couple responses to this. I think, first of all, um, I think it comes down to just doing what the artist wants to do. Like if, if they are not, if they're forcing um if they're trying to be like musical and melodic for the sake of just ch- wanting to be that but not really understanding it or not intuitively feeling it then i i, I feel like that is going to be a harder path than working within your current strengths or working within like what you're what is intuitive for you um but don't, I don't you think, think what a- comes
0: from like uh like what is your strengths and what is intuitive for you kind of just comes from your practice right
1: I would say so, as well as just uh, like exp- just exposure to music. There is a um, so in, in some sense, um,
0: yeah. In some in some sense, maybe uh, then knowing music theory, or at least practicing um, music in other ways, other than maybe just producing. Like, say, for instance, learning how to play piano or learning guitar or like learning some form of instrument or, or something like that, which could then um, generate ideas and and sort of guide you in in terms of you know, intuition melodically and stuff like that when you are writing music might
1: be somewhat important right i, I think i think music theory is supplementary to to your ear uh, i i don't think that it is i don't think they're going to get good results by just brute forcing theory into a song i i feel like it's just not you, you need that human element you need that in, intuition for it to to confirm that it makes sense versus Vice versa, where, like, there'll be times where I have melody in my head or chord progression in my head, and I'm like, hmm, I'll use theory to check to, to make sure that what I'm hearing is, like, makes sense in addition to using theory to kind of get out of my comfort zone uh, at times. Like, maybe, like, for instance, like, if I'm, if, if I'm playing, like, a, a dominant 5 chord, And that sounds right to my ear, but I'm like, I want this to be more interesting, but I'm not really sure how to make it more interesting, interesting, like less generic. And then, you know, I'll switch into theory mode and I'll start thinking like, okay, maybe something like a tritone substitution for the five chord would work because I know that it functions very similarly theoretically as the dominant five chord. And so then I'll try that and then see with my ear if that makes sense in the song.
0: Right, right. Um, yeah, I feel the, the same. Like I don't know music theory too well, but I feel the same way with production a little bit. It's kind of like if I'm, <clears throat> uh, I don't know, just mixing down a tune or doing some edits or something. I might be like, oh, "What could make like this fill cooler than just being a normal drum fill or just being like a like yeah. a, a rest or something?" And then mm-hmm. by just knowing sort of the the breadth of the tools available to me, I might be like, oh, maybe a granulizer could sort of function the same way that a like drum fill could, you know, like a granular fill or like maybe a um, yeah, you know, right. something like that. So yeah, I see what you mean. yeah, yeah, right. So so I understand exactly like what you're saying in the, in that sense. It could be useful as like a t- like a toolbox to reach into for other things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Um, what's going on with YouTube? Are you still doing YouTube stuff?
1: Like. Uh- like tutorials and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I mean, I saw the serum one you you put up. Are you um like actively thinking about YouTube a lot, or is it just something you do like when you sort of have an idea, or like what like what's your relationship with doing YouTube videos at
1: the moment? Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm not I'm not like full force into it, but I am. I think just doing. I think doing the uh, like doing the serum masterclass course which that video is kind of advertising at the end that you're talking about, um, got me more comfortable just talking to a camera and being in the DAW and, and describing stuff. Because, I mean, for the longest time, I would wa- I really would want to you know teach people and show people all this stuff, but it's like once there's a camera in front of me or I know that I'm being recorded or watched by a bunch of strangers that I can't see myself, it's like I just get way too in my head and I don't even know. Like, I don't even... I just lose my train of thought so quickly. Um, so so after doing those courses, I got a lot more comfortable in, uh, I guess staying grounded in my own head. Um, and it's kind of, I'm not like committed to putting out content on YouTube, but when I am compelled to, when I have like a new idea, it kind of ebbs and flows. Like there'll be times where I'm, just constantly flooded with like new ideas and new innovative stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to make a video about this uh, just because I need to get it out of me. I need to share this with people. And that's when I'll, that's when I'll make something. Uh, that's when I'll make YouTube content. Right, right, And it's pretty liberating just to be able to do that. And then, you know, know that there's an audience that is really receptive uh, and is benefiting from that. Like, cause ultimately it's like, I mean, yeah, there's, there are, there are, Special techniques that I have myself that I I that I'm not just going to like put on blast, but a lot of the stuff I've loosened up a lot over the years when it comes to like hoarding ideas and techniques because no one for one no one's going to do it exactly the same way that I would and in the same context in the song and it's just going to make the scene it's just more resources. Uh, for the music scene and for artists to to use and just continue to advance music, especially if it's stuff that i'm already you know if if i'm if i'm doing if I'm demonstrating techniques that I like the sound of, then that would just speed up the evolution of of that faster, and then there's more music in the world that I would probably. That I, that I would enjoy because Dude, uh, i feel yeah.
0: the same the exact same way and that's why i started doing tutorials a long time ago because i i really think it's short-sighted to just hoard information and yeah i think it's it behooves you for everybody to be good at the thing that you love doing um so mm-hmm. for instance uh like when i i i, I sometimes think about this and it, and it might be an egotistical way to think and it may be completely wrong and i uh, fantastic phantasmagorical it might be but uh mm. I sometimes think like if i had never put out a YouTube video ever and I'd never shown anybody how to do the things that I do in Ableton and let's say also Tom Cosm had never made a YouTube video and let's say Adam, uh, sorry, Andrew Wong had never like put a thing out. And Adam nearly had, like, let's just say, like, all YouTubers had decided, like, fuck it, I'm holding on to all my information. I paid mm-hmm. a lot of money for my education. Like, you guys go pay 60 grand for an education. Fuck you. Like, let's, let's right. say that, let's just say that that was everybody's uh, MO, right? Mm-hmm. Like, think about where electronic music would be. Like, I wonder if it would be anywhere near as big as it is right now or like, um, you know, like somebody like me who I would consider to be not very popular or big can make like quite a good living off electronic music at this point. And that like was just absolutely not the case 10 years ago when I started doing it, there was like few and far between who were able to make a living off electronic music. And it was like fucking who like Moby and Fat Boy Slim. And like, that's about it. And, like, <laughs> right. Like no, no one was really like making a lot of, like a living, doing doing this stuff. I mean, maybe there was like a few DJs I didn't know about and stuff. But um, so I think, in in some regard, like a lot of this sharing of information and peer to peer networking and just like f- free market of ideas, kind of shit that's going on on YouTube is super helpful to to everyone involved. And I almost kind of like feel not not like a sense of anger. But like when when there's a producer who like and a lot of drum and bass guys are like this right where they just don't want to share their information at all, mm. um, and a lot of some some neuro people are like this too because they just like I mean and I don't I don't want to sound like I'm hating on anyone or anything like that but I think a lot of that style of music is dependent on the tricks kind of thing because like yeah. I mean otherwise it is what it is right It's drum and bass or neuro, yeah. um, which is great I love the style and I love a lot of the people making it but. Um, whenever I hear those people espouse the idea to me that they're like, no, 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 I don't want to share my tricks. I don't feel like being charitable to producers. I don't feel like, you know, being that guy. It's always, mm-hmm. I, I have this feeling of kind of like, well, fuck you, like you're reaping the benefits of being a working electronic musician that came mm-hmm. from exactly the thing you're denying people of, which is, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's, that's the wrong way to look at it. But like, that's one thought that I have on that subject for sure.
1: Yeah, dude. it seems like I mean, I can't speak for them. But from my own personal experience, it's like it was it's an it was an insecurity. It was like the thought of self doubt, like maybe once I I'm not going to be unique, I'm not going to be special, I'm not going to be popular after people know my techniques. And maybe I'm this is, you know, maybe I'm I'm maxed out. Maybe this is the best I'm ever going to be. So it's like, you know, if I give my techniques out, then I'm just kind of just essentially it's just like, you know, the vault's open, take everything you want kind of thing. But Um, then that forces you to
0: have to get better, right? Which is also good because I I also sometimes wonder if I had never given tricks out, if I would have just been like, well, you know, like I can, I just have these few editing tricks um, and these few like glitch generation tricks so I can be a glitch artist, right? And at the time when I was putting out some of those pieces of music, back in like mid 2000s, a lot of people were like, wow, how the fuck are you doing this? This sounds like really impressive and glitchy and cool. And if I'd never shown people how to do it and a bunch of people never figured out how to do it, um, I mean, there's a good chance I'd still just be rinsing those same tricks and not growing as an artist myself. But like the fact that I gave those tricks out and now it puts everyone on the same playing field forces me to have to be innovative, right, to be like, you know, more interesting or unique than other people who can already do the thing that I was already doing.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think when you're, I think you're just going to be, you're, you're just going to max out. Uh, you're just going to feel too full. And then there's not going to be any room for, um, I mean, at least from my perspective, I kind of see it like you're, if you're just holding on to all this stuff, there's less room for you to, it's like hard drive space. It's like, you, you're not going to want to accumulate more stuff. It's just, you're just going to be comfortable with what you have. Cause you know that it works and you're just going to feel more protective over it. And then yeah, people if if you give that out if you give that stuff out to people then it's like you, there's room for you to improve and and could and just continue innovating and it's it's for me it's cathartic like once I can kind of get over that insecurity hump then it's like wow, I'm so glad that I was you know, uh open and and real and and honest about how I how I create music and how I how I make stuff. Um yeah, I think what goes around comes around. It's like what you put out, you're also going to get as much as you're going to get just as much as you put out um, through, you know, either your own self-exploration. Uh, and sometimes I I find myself doing this sometimes, like I'll hear techniques or like certain sounds of mine uh, that other people are emulating or something. And then part of me is kind of like, hmm. I wonder if i could do it better and just like keep doing it better and better and there's i I find a lot of fulfillment in just striving for you know the next thing the next evolution of of sound so yeah i I agree with you dude
0: yeah i have the same experience like every time i share a piece of information on youtube i'm like all right here's this thing uh disperser or like here you know here's this thing uh where you can Do something quicker by pressing this shortcut or or something like that. There'll always be someone in the comments who's like, "Well, actually, you can do disperser by using five EQ threes next to each other." (laughs) Or like somebody else who's like, "Well, actually, like there's a way to do that faster by like just clicking this other button." And like from doing that, it's like you shared a bit of information. A bunch of people got something from it, and then you also like learned more about the subject that you didn't know. Right?
1: That's right. Yeah, I think it makes people. It kind of inspires people to also contribute. Which is great. It's like, yeah, there's nothing, you know, no one's hiding, no one's hiding shit. Right, right. Yeah, speaking,
0: um, speaking of which, uh, I've, I've started doing a YouTube video last night. Like I recorded a bunch of uh, stuff yesterday with my DSLR and whatnot. And then I've been editing in DaVinci Resolve like all mm. last night and all this morning. And I almost have like a 20 minute nicely edited video together. Cool. Um, it's the first video of my own that I've ever edited actually. Really? Yeah. I used to, well, I usually pay someone to do it. Like, I, I I was paying um, my buddy Garden Sound uh to do okay. it for a while because I I don't know. I was just like he's way faster at it. He's put a lot of effort into learning how to edit. I don't care that much about video editing, and I would just prefer to spend my time writing music. But I, I think just during this quarantine, I'm just like fuck. I'm just so bored. I just want to learn new skills and shit. So I started yeah. like learning Blender, and I started learning Resolve, and I started like really diving deeper into my Canon DSLR and like learning shit about it. Like it has a face tracking mode, which I never knew about. What? Um, and just stuff like that. It just, and it's been actually really fun. I've been finding it very fulfilling. So I think That's I might great, start doing some more YouTubing stuff um, over the next like few weeks or whatever. Cool. Uh, actually, one of the videos I wanted to do is sort of related to what we were just talking about, Disperser. Um, I want to do a video on all pass filters because it's something that... Uh, but first of all, I don't fully understand them, so I want to use it as a um, uh, you know learning experience for myself to like dive into that subject more and understand it more.
1: Yes, um, dude. Yes, we need all-pass filtered tutorials. Yeah, because <laughs> I feel thing... like it's still something that's very like it's hard. To, it's hard to uh, explain, or it's hard to it's hard for people to understand what it is uh, without like you know a proper you know, explanation and Well, here's the way
0: that I've been explaining it because I get asked, like, every time I pull out disperser and OTT and I have a rack that's literally just called disperser OTT and I chuck it on, like, almost everything because I just love the squishiness of it. Um, so every time I put it on, someone's like, what is that? How does that work? And I always try to explain it. And basically the, the most streamlined explanation I've come up with is it's just a tool that has a cutoff point, and everything below the cutoff point it delays by a few milliseconds, i.e., puts yeah. it out of phase? And phase is basically just the time domain, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, but it's, for some reason, something as simple as that—just putting uh, whatever's above the cutoff point and below that cutoff point slightly out of time with each other—it just adds. It just makes it sound so squishy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I find that interesting. It's it's a very, um, it's almost like a, a visceral uh, effect, like. I think there's I'm mean, I'm trying to think like why does why would why do we have that association? I'm thinking of like I mean I guess a, like a, world. a
0: a water droplet, right? It goes, like it's kind of like a like a water droplet starts in the high frequencies and ends in the
1: lows it seems like maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, I, that's a good, I, I can't explain it on the physical level but
0: I think I should yeah, that's a good good idea. I'll chuck that into in the tutorial. But I've been um trying to figure out all the different ways you can create an all-pass filter and like obviously You can do it with disperser, but um, I've noticed you can also do it with EQ3 if you just put Mm -hmm. five of them next to each other. And the reason why is because of, uh, I mean, obviously you already know this, but like um, an EQ works by uh, phase stuff, right? So it's kind of like it has these splitters in them. And if you wanted to remove, say, I don't know, one decibel from 100 hertz and down, it would just take a split of 100 hertz and down, send it back into the EQ and put it out of phase with itself. Yeah. Um, so it's effectively removing one decibel of 100 hertz and down. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you put five of these next to each other and just don't change any settings, because of all the splitters in EQ3, they just accumulate to create this phase shift between the high and low frequencies, Yeah, which sounds really nice. You can also do it with OTT if you um, put OTT on amount zero, like just the Ableton yeah. OTT, because again, it has splitters in them that are doing stuff and... You kind of get this shift between the high and the low frequencies. Um Yeah.
1: With with OTT, uh a few years ago I noticed that it did that. I was like, yeah, there's there's crossovers, which is probably what's causing this effect. And it also helps, you know, make it sound thicker, besides you know, the the frequency aspect of it. But um yeah, I, I tried to make it dis- I try to make disperser with a bunch of OTTs, and then I realized, like, even though they were on zero, it was still just crapping up my CPU. And then it wasn't until I saw a, um, an in-the-daw tutorial with uh, Pixel Terror. And they were like, yeah, we just throw a bunch of uh, EQ3s <laughs> uh, on our sounds and it just makes it really thick. And then I was like, duh, it uses the same crossovers. Why didn't I think of that? Right, way right. less processing, though. Yeah, yeah totally.
0: Um, another way I've tried to figure out uh, how to do it is um, just using a rack uh, with two chains. And then you just uh-huh. sort of like use EQ3 or EQ8 to... Just play like you know one sort of band each, like one one chain will just be, I don't know, three hundred hertz and up, and the other one will be three hundred hertz and down. Right. And then you just put a delay on the end of the three hundred hertz and down one, and just like put it on hundred percent wet and zero free uh, feedback, and then just delay it by like a few milliseconds.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've, I made a rack. I made a rack like that. It was like a three band split, and then it was like the mid band was a little bit delayed, low band was a lot delayed. It's it's a it's a it's a different, it's a slightly different effect than you know the all-pass filter because it's kind of like a jump, um, but I think that can be a really cool sound because it's kind of a combination of. Yeah, it's like disperser, but a little bit different, a little <laughs> bit less like, sweepy. Right, right, yeah. So, so I think um that might be my next tutorial video. Cool. Yeah, you should do
0: it. Yeah, um, cool. H- have you ever considered getting into
1: programming? <laughs> i i I think about it, I just have no idea where to start honestly, and it's it's intimidating,
0: yeah, I would agree um one thing i so I've tried to learn it a few times now, and uh the first thing I ever got stuck on whilst learning it is uh what's called the command line, which is where you actually just execute all of your code. It's uh-huh. the simplest thing, it's basically like the equivalent of opening Ableton and learning how to use the transport, but like that's where i would suggest starting and then i mean obviously you need to learn how to actually code after that
1: (laughs) right the command line are we talking about like in a specific language or just like in general
0: in in general yes it's basically just like using terminal or powershell or
1: whatever oh okay so you think that would be a good place to start
0: Uh, yeah i mean it's it's like very fundamental to the whole thing i think uh from what i understand
1: I mean, even that scares me. It's like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, I don't fully understand it yet either. I mean, I, a lot of people, like Dead Mouse, asked me this. He was like, "Do you program?" Or like, "Why don't you program?" And my answer at the time was like, uh, "I don't know. I just like, again, the same as the video tutorial thing. I, I feel like my time is better spent writing music. I don't really want to spend my time that way." But then I started like looking into it, and I was like, "I actually just think I'm too dumb for this." <laughs>
1: Yeah, dude. I feel yeah. It's it. It seems from the outside, it seems super dry. Mm. Yeah, it, it there's might be no pretty colors and r- feedback and right, right. After sounds. talking to a
0: lot of programmers, <laughs> uh, it kind of is because like with with music, um, there's no like right answer. There's no right th- thing that you get to. Right. It's like you just after doing shit for a little while, you have a thing, and you either like it or you don't, and then other people either like it or they don't. But with yeah. programming, it's like the thing you're trying to build. You need to know what it is before you even start. Otherwise, like, what are you even going to aim towards to do? And then, right. at the end, it either just works or it doesn't. It's like
1: <laughs> right. It seems like it's a lot harder to backtrack with that than something like music.
0: Well, with music, there's like you don't even have to backtrack. You can just keep going forward. It seems like yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, I, yeah, I see what you mean. It's like the whole thing needs to every part needs to work within the the context of everything else with programming.
0: Right, exactly, and then with music, it's arguable that it, whatever's working does or does not. You know what I mean? Like you, you could totally put the worst snare in a song and be like, "This is the perfect snare for this song," and somebody else could be like, "That doesn't work at all." And you could argue about it until the cows come home, and no one would be right. Yeah, it's Whereas totally with, subjective art. Right? right, right. Whereas with programming, you're like, I oh, I just built this calculator. It it calculates functions and numbers and shit," and you could objectively either say that works as a calculator or that's broken and does not work as a calculator, right?
1: Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, that's that's how machine, that's, that's, machin- that's machinery though. It's like computers, they're really good at doing specific things that they're designed to do. Um, right.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's why I was curious as to whether or not you'd ever get into it because you're obviously like super into, you said you're into electronics when you're younger and then you're into synthesis and like, I don't know, you just seem like someone who might want to get into that because you're hitting the wall or something with the things that you're currently doing.
1: Yeah, man, I feel like it, it is in my future. I just don't know when I feel like something is going to, is going to trigger it though. I, I, there needs to be, a, I think there needs to be a moment where it's like, okay, this is, I, I need to do this for you know whatever reason. Like there needs to be something that really sparks my drive to overcome that, that anxiety hump which probably would be
0: like you hit the wall completely with something you're trying to do and the thing that you want to exist to make it happen doesn't exist. And Mm, I think you're right. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. And and it almost seems like everything I ever want to do, like someone's already sort of solved the problem in some way or another or I can just like figure out a work around using the shit that already exists to do it. Yeah. And I've actually found with programmers that I've been hanging out with because I moved to San Francisco, so I sort of know a lot of programmers now. Um, It seems like a lot of them, what they'll do is just sort of apply lots of other things that already exist into other things. Uh, So to give you an example, like um, uh, the the YouTube video I'm making at the moment is about um, a thing that my girlfriend made called Splitter, which is uh, a Max for Live device that you just put on any channel in Ableton. You highlight a region. So let's just say an entire stereo wave file. And you hit uh-huh. start on this device and, and then it extracts stems for you. So it extracts drums, bass, other and vocals.
1: Dude, I I heard a I heard someone talking about Splitter. That sounds nuts. So
0: <laughs> so here's the thing, right? Is like uh she she just used a thing that, that Deezer had already invented called Splitter and sort of just applied it into a Max for Live device, right? What? Like
1: Ha, ha, wait, you're are, you're are you talking about Deezer, the streaming service? Yeah, they they were the people who like came up with the AI algorithm. Oh, and then, gotcha.
0: Yeah, and then my girlfriend Jan uh, built it into a Max for Live device, and yeah. I guess my point is that like a lot of programming sort of works that way. Like, there's already shitloads of libraries on GitHub. I mean, I mean. Right: Music production also works this way. It's like there's already shitloads of sample libraries out there. There's already shitloads of synthesizers out there. It's like you kind of just combine samples and synthesizers and, and whatnot and compile them all into a project file to make a finished sounding piece of music, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, that makes more sense. you know if, if bits of code are already there, it's like why not use it then then just build it from scratch? Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. That's sick. I want to try that thing out though. Oh, oh, you smart. definitely
0: should. The installation is kind of a pain in the ass, but um yeah, that's what my next video is going to be about and I'll hopefully have it out in the next few days. Sweet. Cool, man. Well, um that's probably a good place to wrap. Um we talked okay. for an hour. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on um and taking the time to to talk to me for an hour. Yeah, totally, man. I appreciate you. Fuck yeah, man. Well, uh yeah, have a good one.
1: Yeah, you too. I'll talk All to right. you soon. See ya. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast.